Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to continue in this series that we're in. We're going to be in the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis. We're moving our way through this book, and this is really a powerful, powerful series that we're uh, doing right now. It's called Genesis in the Beginning, and it's laying foundations. And really, you can't understand your 21st century modern world that you live in unless you understand the book of Genesis, because in the book of Genesis, all the foundations were laid. And if you don't understand the foundations, you'll never understand what's going on in the world that you live in. And this is a fascinating book. I've always enjoyed reading it because, because those, those picking out, pulling out those foundations just makes sense of everything. And uh, today in Genesis chapter 6, actually 6 through 8, we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. We're looking at Noah and the flood. So I'd like you to turn with me there, and I'm just going to begin reading in the 12th verse, Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. I think it's probably there up on the screen, or you can open up in your Bibles and put it in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. It says, So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy him them with, I will destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. This is the New King James Version, by the way. That's why you have cubits there. In a minute, I'll tell you how big the ark really was. In the 17th verse, if you'll join me there, the Bible says, And behold, I myself... And bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you and to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. And Father, I just pray as we get into the Word, I'm so thankful for, for this powerful story, Lord, this, these, as the events unfold and the foundations that it lays in the world that we live in. Father, I pray for supernatural revelation from the Spirit of God. I pray it will not only be words coming from me, but Spirit of God, I pray that you will enlighten our hearts to the truth that you're releasing here. And Father, we just ask that in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You know, of every children's story of, in all of Sunday school that you've ever been involved with, this is the favorite, Noah and the Ark. And you have these beautiful pictures of arks and animals and flowers and rainbows and, and, uh, and, 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 and coloring pages, and it's just kids' favorite. And you ask them, it'll be Noah and the Ark. The only problem is this was never meant to be a kid's story. This is tragic. This is heart-rending judgment on the earth. There are some Bible commentators who believe there, were, there may have been billions of people on the earth at this time. 
the greenhouse effect, people living to 900 years old, thousands of thousands of years from the, from the time, thousands of years from the creation, that, that a population just exploded all over the earth, that there could have been billions of people on the earth at this time. And only eight of them survived this tragedy, this heart-rending tragedy, and yet we make it a children's story. We make this flowery, coloring pages, children's story, and then we make up songs for it. In fact, you know the song because you were in Sunday school. It goes like this, Noah, Noah, he built him a what? Arky, arky. And the second, the second verse goes something like this, the rain fell, the rain fell like for daisies and daisies, daisies or something like that. Or the animals come in, the animals come in by twosies and twosies, and we make it, we make it a kid's song. In fact, in fact, the, there's a verse that I didn't even realize was there. It's the verse this, the animals came out of the ark by threesies and threesies. And three. Pastor Jonathan, pre- he's preaching on sex every Sunday, so I just decided I'm going to do it as well. <laughs> you know, we make, it, we make it this kid's story. In fact, there's a daycare that's named Noah's Ark, and I just want to tell you, you don't want to send your kids to that place. And so what I, what I want to do, this is, this, is a, this is a real story filled with detail. It has dates, it has times, it has, it has the year. It's filled with detail. The Bible is, is telling you that, th- that this, is, this is not a kid's story. This is an event that happened on planet Earth. It's mentioned in six books of the Bible. Jesus himself said, at the second coming, at his second coming, the earth would be as it was in the days of Noah. It'll be exactly as it was in that day before his coming. It is a real event. It is a real story. And I'm going to do the best that I can do this morning as I'm sharing this to give you the adult version of Noah's Ark. The adult version. You know, this past summer, we, Kathleen and I, um, we spend at least a week in the Estes Park area every year. And um, I determined that I was going to ride my bicycle down Big Thompson Canyon. Uh, you talk about a thrill. There isn't anything like that. But this year especially, riding my bicycle down Big Thompson Canyon, because, because a little over a year ago, Big Thompson Canyon had an event that was cataclysmic <coughs> in that canyon. There was a weather system that came over the Rocky Mountains, and it sat there for five days, and the rain just poured. Five days, that, that, that system just sat without any movement at all, and the rain just poured. And as it poured, every canyon coming out of that eastern slope of Colorado was decimated. The Big Thompson Canyon was decimated. And as I rode through that on my bike, it was, it was mind-blowing. There were whole sections of, 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 of raised highways and, and raised pavement that were, just, that were just completely wiped out. Almost the entire Highway 34 that goes through Big Thompson Canyon was completely destroyed as the floodwaters come down there. You would ride down and you would see houses hanging from the cliff and the entire foundation and bottom and of, of those houses had been completely torn away and completely washed away because of the water that came through there. There were entire townships that no longer existed as you ride down that canyon. The sheer power and force of that water from rains that just, that just for five days stood over the mountains and just, and, just, and just poured and rained and rained and rained on the mountains. There was a, there was a lady who lived at the, at the, just before you come into Loveland, where actually the, 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 the Big Thompson River, where it, where it actually splits, and she lived right in the middle of that. 
And she had been through many floods in her life. An older, older lady lived there for all of her life in, in, in that home. And she refused. She says, I've been through floods before. I refuse to leave until it was too late. And the, the enormous power of that water took her home, took her life, killed her because she refused to leave. She refused to listen. And I just, I just want to share this as I, as I paint that picture. What if the whole world refused to listen? The enormous power of that water. Boulders as big as pickups. What if the whole world refused to answer? And I want to begin to point a, paint a picture of the adult version of this story. Noah and the ark. A lot of people say, well, how, how could God destroy the whole earth? And, and, and I want to ask you a question. How could God wait over 1,600 years when sin is so filling the, the world that he created that it's destroying everything? Bite his lip for 1,600 years and then for 120 years offer grace and an, and an opportunity to, to come away from that. And then seven days before the flood, say it's going to happen in seven days. What if a whole world didn't listen? Or I have people ask this question. They, 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 say, they, 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 they say, why doesn't God stop sin in the world? Why does he let it happen in the world? And I want to ask you a question. This, this, this tragedy of the flood is what it takes to stop sin in our world. Is that really what you want to see? And in this story of Noah and the ark, there are huge foundations that are being put in place. I want to give you a key thought and a key scripture to the, to the message this morning. And this is the key thought. Would you put it up there for me? The key thought and the key scripture. The key thought is this. Godly obedience is birthed in deep trust and will always be God's way of escape from the judgment of sin. The key verse is this, Genesis 6.22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about that heart of obedience to the Lord. The heart of obedience. Now there's three foundations that in, in these scriptures that, that the Lord lays. And we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. So keep your Bibles open. Um, there's a lot going on in these, in these three chapters, that chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Genesis. And I'm going to talk about three important foundations. And the first one is this, that sin is devastating. Your sin is devastating. Your sin is devastating. And you're going to see the picture painted in Genesis 6, the first chapter. The Bible says that it, the first verse, chapter 6, verse 1, it said, the Bible says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters of men were born, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all of whom they chose. And the Lord said, when he saw this going on, when he saw this going on, the Lord said this, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Verse 4 says there were giants on the earth in those days because of this union that we just read about. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And I want to tell you, this is the weirdest chapter in the whole Bible. 
It is the weirdest chapter in the whole Bible. There's more discussion on these verses among theologians than any place almost in the entire Bible. And it's like, like what's going on here? What's going on? And there's all kinds of theories of, of what's going on. Some, some feel that there was a godly line and that there was a, there were a man and there was an evil that would be the, the and there was an evil um, line of man and the, the godly line would be the sons of God and the evil men would be the daughters of men or the evil line would be the daughters of men or the other way around. There's all kinds of speculation about what's going on here. And, and I've taken a lot of time just to dig into that. Let me, let me give you my best answer of what's going on here. And this will just blow you away. My best answer. In the Old Testament, the sons of God are never known as humans. They're always angelic beings, either, either angels or fallen angels. All through the Old Testament, every time it says the sons of God, it'll always refer to the angelic realm. In 1 Peter chapter 3, you have to go there. You see, you see that in 1 Peter chapter 3, there's an explosion of demonic activity that the Bible in the New Testament, when it looks back on, on, on the flood of Noah, says was happening during that time. If you go to Jude chapter 1, you find that, the, that in the demonic realm, they were actually overstepping the boundaries of their realm. And so this is, this is in, it's, as briefly as I can give you what's going on in these verses right now, this is what we believe is going on. That demonic spirits wanting to be involved in the physical realm actually possess the bodies of men, and those demon-possessed men married women, and they produce a race of strange beings that the Bible calls the Nephilim or the giants or the mighty ones of God. That's what we believe is going on here. And we believe that there is a picture of a world that is not only not, so not seeking God, but it's a picture of, world, of a world that is embracing the demonic and pulling it in. And you have, you have demonic-influenced in families, demonic-influenced unions, and demonic-influenced offspring happening on, on the earth. And you have God who has just created a, a, a world that he says that it was very good, that before his eyes it is being destroyed by the power of sin. I, I want to say this again. Your sin is devastating. It is devastating. This is the end result of a world that embraces sin, that refuses to seek the Lord and embraces sin. This is the end result. And these are the marks that is on that world. These are the marks. There, there are, there are and, and this is scary because, it's, because it, is, it, is, it is really the world that we live in. The marks are this, ungodly heroes, Sexual immorality, corruption, violence. And every time there's a world that starts moving away from seeking the Lord and starts embracing the world of sin and the demonic, that's what the world begins to look like. And when you look at the culture that you live in, when you begin to see those kind of things happening in the culture you live in, the same thing that was going on here is beginning to infiltrate your culture. And God says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. It shall not always strive with man. What God saw devastated him. It filled him with sorrow. It filled him with grief. I want you to look with me in, in verse 5. The Bible says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry. There's a grieving in the heart of the, of, of, of the God who created the world, created our world. 
The Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. The earth also was corrupt before God in verse 11, and the earth was filled with violence. It was filled with violence. What he created as perfect was being destroyed. Could I just say it again? Our sin is devastating. It is devastating. It is devastating. And there's a foundational principle of God that is put in place in the world that you live in right now. It's revealed in the book of Genesis. And this is the foundational principle. You've got to write this down. God's grace does have a deadline. It does have a deadline. It does have a deadline. And when you see a, when you see a culture that, begins to, that, does, that refuses to seek God, begins to push him off to the side, and a culture that begins to embrace the demonic and the sin that it produces, a culture that begins to have godless heroes, a culture that begins to have sexual immorality all over the place, a culture that begins to have corruption, and a culture that begins to have violence in it. When you see that, this foundational tr truth will operate every time that God's grace does have a deadline. It does have a deadline. Let me just say this right now. A holy God will judge sin. And sin is a tragedy whenever, in, in every way. It's a tragedy in every way. If it goes unchecked, it will destroy everything. And Satan will give you a promise that he will make you godlike. Only as you step into that, it will make you very ungodlike. It is a tragedy if it's left unchecked. It will destroy everything that is good. But it is a tragedy if it's, if it's brought into check because it takes this to stop the sin of our world that we release into it. It takes this, a flood of this proportion, this, this kind of heart-rending judgment to put a stop to it. So this foundational principle, God's grace, does have a deadline. And every one of us here have a decision to make. If you follow the popular, you'll call it God great pain. But if you seek him, you'll find a way out. You'll find a way out. So that's the bad news. Let me share with you the good news. And this is, I know it gets real quiet in here when I share that. And, and, it's, and, and it's, it's important because you see marks of this in our culture. And there's a huge move of God in our culture, but my goodness, there's a huge move of God away, away, away from God in our culture as well. It's like, this, it's like this dichotomy. It's just, it's like there's no middle ground. It's either for God or completely against Him, and it's, and it's happening in our culture. And just understand that the foundational principle is the grace of God, there's a deadline on it, and you better be aware of it. You better not be the, the lady who's living bet between the, the two channels of the river and says, I've been through every flood that's ever come down Big Thompson Canyon and survived. You better not be in that place. You better not be in that place. So the good news is this, and I'm going to let you smile a little bit. This is the awesome thing. God always prepares a way of escape. He always prepares a way of escape. I want you to look with me in the, in the eighth verse of, of Genesis 6. The Bible says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. <clears throat> You have a completely godless culture, and you have one man who stands completely against the culture. Believer, I want to tell you something right now. Your stand against the culture moving in an ungodly way is the most powerful thing because it's noticed in heaven. 
And the Bible says that Noah, because of that stand, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in all of his generations. And Noah walked with God. And the Bible says in verse 10, Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You know, Noah walked with God. And Noah wasn't perfect any more than you're perfect. But the reason that he was seen as just and the reason he was seen as perfect is because he chose to walk with the Lord and say, Lord, I need you in every part of my life because without it, I'm a mess. And he pulled on the grace of the Lord. The Bible says he found the grace of the Lord. In the same way that you find it in Christ, he found the grace of the Lord. And when the Lord looked at him, he saw a man who was just and perfect because his grace was upon his life. His grace was upon his life because he walked with God. That's just a powerful picture that, is, that, that unfolds here. Noah, and I, I just, can I just share this as a sidelight? You better be really thankful for Noah. Because if it wasn't be for Noah, you wouldn't be here. You better be really thankful for Noah. He's the one man, the one man in this mess who took a stand for God. You better be really thankful for this man, Noah. You erase him and you're erased. Because God is going to take this world, and he's not afraid. He's not afraid to wipe the whole thing off and push reset on it. And if he did it once, he'll do it again. He always writes the last chapter. But the cool thing is he always prepares a way of escape. So let's look at that in Genesis in the 14th verse. I want you to just look at it with me. He says to Noah, this is what God says, make an ark of gopher wood. Now, it's interesting because gopher wood doesn't rot and it floats. And then he says, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And it's great to, it's great to, have, a, it's, it's, it's great to have a wood that doesn't rot and a wood that doesn't float, but then on the inside and outside, you cover it with, wa- with waterproofing, with pitch. And it says, this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. That's 450 feet. Okay? That's the memorial stadium. You take Memorial Stadium, you set it in the bottom of Memorial Stadium, and it would fill the whole thing. It is 450 feet long. Its width is 75 feet. Its height is 30 cubits. That's 45 feet. 45 feet. So so you take the ark and you put it out on our parking lot, it would fill our parking lot out front. And then you take Bruner Hall of Science and you put it in our parking lot, and the ark would be taller than Bruner Hall of Science. God's making a way of escape. He's making a way of escape. It is massive. Can I share something with you? Jesus is your way of escape. And he is massive. He is massive. He is massive. And don't, don't be part of the world that doesn't listen to that. He is the way of escape. 1 Peter 3 says that Jesus is our ark. He's the one that, the waters of judgment, he's the one that saves us from the waters of judgment. It goes on to say, you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door in the ark in his sight. Only one door, you don't want a lot of openings in a boat. <laughs> Just one. The word window is really, in the original language, is, is really confusing because, because, because it means, it, it can mean roof, it can mean, it can mean window, it can mean, it's, they're really unsure of what it means. 
what they think is going on here is God is telling them put a roof over the entire thing, the entire ark, only leave a space of 18 inches all the way around. That will be your ventilation in your windows. That's what we believe God is telling Noah here, that there will be an 18-inch gap between the, the boat and the, and the roof over it, and, uh, and it will be ventilation and it will be wind, uh, light for the, for, the, for the entire boat. Goes on to say, he goes on to say, um, uh, you shall make it with a lower, a second, and third deck. So it's got three decks. And he says, behold, I make myself, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. There's a lot of people who feel like the flood was, who try to explain the flood by saying it was just, it was just, a, um, just a local flood. But the scripture says here that everything on the entire earth shall die. All flesh that has a breath of life. It will cover the entire earth. Really interesting. I was flying with Anthony. I haven't flown with Anthony for about four years. And um, last, a week ago Friday, he calls me and he says, he says, you want to go with me? So we left, we left Kearney, Nebraska at 1130 in the morning. And uh, it was just a blast to fly with him. I have not flown through all these years and all the new planes he's flying. So we hit Denver, stay there for an hour, pick up, a, uh, pick up four people, fly back to Grand Island and land about 3.30. That's screaming. <laughs> 380 miles an hour. I'm sitting in the co-pilot seat. Whenever I sit there, my son always tells me, Dad, just sit down, shut up, and don't touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so we're, we're, flying from, we're flying from here to Denver and just screaming over. I mean, we're in Ogallala just like that. And we see McConaughey just like that, a little puddle down there. And, and while I'm, we're flying, Anthony says, he says, it's an interesting view from, from um, where I sit in the pilot seat. He flies all over this, this the Midwest area, actually all over the United States he flies. He says, it's really interesting when you're from this vantage point of 26,000 feet in the air. Um, he, says, he says, look down there. And you look down, he says, he says there's evidence of the flood everywhere. He says, every place I fly, you can, see, you can see all of these land formations where there's been a lot of water that has, flown, that has flowed out of the, away from the land. He says, in every place I go, it's everywhere. It is everywhere. And he says, there's people who don't believe in the flood. They've just never flown like I've flown. You can see it everywhere. And then God says in the midst of this, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, your wife, your son's wives with you. And then in the 19th verse, he says, and every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind of the animals after their kind, creeping things on the earth after its kind, every kind to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourselves all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it for yourself, and there shall be food for them. Then Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did, no matter how crazy it was. Because you have to realize this has never rained on earth. Genesis says that the earth was, not, it was, it was, actually, it was actually watered by a mist coming up from below. The earth before the flood was actually a greenhouse effect. You know, when you want to grow things really fast, and really large, you put them in a greenhouse. Perfect conditions. The earth was perfect conditions. 
We believe that's where all the dinosaurs came from and all those, the, the, the huge things that scientists say are thousands or millions and millions and millions of years old. It was before the flood during the greenhouse effect. Grew to massive sizes. Reptiles grew to massive sizes during that time. After the flood, everything changed. We, we believe there wasn't even wind before the flood, that everything was perfect condition. We believe there wasn't rain before the flood. Everything perfect condition. There wasn't storms. There wasn't polar caps. There wasn't anything. When, when the flood came, it decimated everything. It changed everything. It destroyed the world as it was known then. And you have the entire hope of any future of this world in one little boat underneath that roof. The entire hope right there. Could I say this again? God always prepares a way of escape. You just have a decision to make. He always prepares a way of escape. The picture here is not a picture of a boat. It's actually a huge barge. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. No steering, no rudder, no propulsion. It's made for one reason, one reason only, and that's to float. Engineers that have studied it said <coughs> the, <coughs> the proportions that, uh, that, that, um, that were given to build that boat, you would almost have to make it vertical before it actually capsized because it's going to ride the waters of judgment. There was, not, there was not a boat built the size of the ark until 1858. In 1858, they bu built a boat that was twice the size of anything that had ever been built before, except the ark, and in 1858 was the first time that any kind of a boat was built anywhere near this size. That was when Nebraska became a state, right in that time frame. Yeah, 67, 68, I think, um, right in there. The, the, isn't this amazing? And, and the Lord is preparing a way. It would fill our parking lot. It would be as tall as Brunner Hall of Science. This is an amazing thing has an 18-inch light and ventilation strip all the way around it. And Noah built this crazy thing when it had never rained. Sheer obedience and trust in the Lord. It had never rained, and he built it. You know, the Bible says that there's a peace that passes understanding. And I want to tell you something. If you're going to have that kind of peace, you have to give up your right to understand. Because Noah didn't understand this at all. He'd never experienced anything like it. It was sheer deep trust in his God that he did everything that he commanded, complete obedience. And obedience out of a deep trust in God will always provide a way through sin and out of judgment. Every time. This 600-year-old man, everybody in the entire culture thought he was crazy, and he builds this boat. He builds it for the Lord. Listen, animals... People will argue and they'll say, you couldn't get all the animals in, that, in, in something that size. L let me talk to you about the ark for just a moment. The ark, if you, if, 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 if you do the computations, it was 1.5 million cubic feet of, of space in that ark. You could get, you could get 125,000 sheep in that ark. <laughs> and you know why that's important? If you take the largest animal and the smart, smallest animal and you average them, their size... The average size would be the size of a sheep. And you'd get 125,000 sheep into that three-level, 
1.5 million cubic feet ark that God told him to build. Now, there's something else that's really important. There are 18,000 different species. Now, there's a lot of breeds within those species, but there's 18, only 18,000 species upon planet Earth. You multiply that times two, you've got 36,000. We believe that God instructed Noah to take one, one pair of every species, that would be 36,000 animals, into the ark. And you know what that leaves? That leaves two-thirds of the ark. Actually, only a third of the ark is used. Two-thirds of it is open for storage of food. This whole thing is absolutely, is absolutely amazing when you, when, you, when you start doing the math behind it. And not a single thing made any sense to Noah. He just did it in complete obedience to the Lord. One man in this culture that was going completely haywire against the Lord, one man had such a deep trust in God that in complete obedience he did everything that he said. Can you imagine a 600-year-old man and, and, and somebody walks up to your teenager and says, your dad is crazy. What is he doing? What is he doing? He is crazy building that huge boat. And just imagine this. As he's building one day, the animals start showing up. Do you know that animals obey God even when people don't? <laughs> Did you know that there's donkeys that talk in the Bible if God tells them to talk? You know that? Do you know there's ravens that feed prophets if God tells them to feed them? Animals obey God even if people don't. And can you imagine one day he's building and the animals just start showing up? And all of earth's future hope is going to be huddled under a single roof in the ark. The whole reset of planet earth is going to be on this thing. There's a way of escape from the Lord. There's a way of escape from the Lord. Let me talk to you for a moment about the flood. And I'm not going to read the scripture because there's a lot of scripture that, that talks about the flood here. But let me talk to you about the flood. Do you remember the Estes disaster with five days of rain? This is what God describes in Genesis chapter 7 uh, about the flood. And, and, and uh, um, well, this is too good. Let me read it. Let me just read it. Genesis chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. And the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the deep were broken up and the windows of the heaven were opened. And if you remember in Genesis chapter 1 that, that God set boundaries on, on the waters that were below, the fountains of the deep on earth. He set boundaries on the waters that were in the atmosphere. And God says, I'm taking those boundaries away. And the waters gushed from below and the, and the torrents, the, the crashing torrents from above came down on planet earth for 40 days and 40 nights. This little piddly thing that happened for five days out over the mountains of, of, of Colorado are nothing compared to what's going on here. And it happens for 40 days and 40 nights. The 17th verse of Genesis 7 says this, The waters increased and lifted up the ark. It rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. And the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward 
and the mountains were covered. Let me tell you what's happening. 22 and a half feet above the highest mountain, the waters are coming. If you think that's a local flood, Mount Ararat was in that area 17,000 feet above sea level. You put 22 and a half feet of water above that and you cover the entire earth. You cover the entire earth. It's impossible not to cover the entire earth with that kind of a flood. And God brings the flood. I want to talk to you a minute about the people, what was going on here. You know, we, we a lot of times, if you ask a kid and they, and they say, what's going on with Noah um, and the ark? And they will say, well, they're making fun of Noah. I don't think they were making fun of Noah at all. I think, I think they, were, they, were, they were flabbergasted at what he was doing. You know, two years ago, we went to a retreat in the Black Hills. And while we were there, I think you guys were with us, we, uh, we drove by the Crazy Horse Monument, largest mountain carving in the entire world. And we drove by it. It's, do you know how long they've been working on the Crazy Horse Monument? It's 641 feet long. It is 5,632 feet high. Do you know how long they've been working on it? Since 1948. The guy who started, I can't even pronounce his name, died in 1982. He started in 1948, died in 1982. And if when we drove by it and looked at it, you can just barely see what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this crazy horse on his, uh, the, the Indian on his horse. You can barely see because it's, it's not even all formed and shaped yet. And he spent his entire life doing this. And the crazy thing about it, we were driving by it to see it. <clears throat> and I think the entire world was coming to see what Noah was doing here. 120 years building. I think the entire world is, is driving by. And Noah, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. And I want to tell you something about Noah. He was a great boat, bu- boat builder. He was a lousy preacher. Because he didn't have one single person commit their life to the Lord during all that preaching. But here's this man in complete obedience for the Lord. Seven years into it, not a single person responding. He's obedient to the Lord. Twenty years into it, not a single person responding. He's obedient to the Lord. Fifty years into it, not a single person responding. A hundred years into it, not a single person responding. And he's obedient to the Lord. He is obedient to the Lord. And I want to say to you, believer, I don't care if there isn't anyone whoever responds to your obedience to the Lord. A hundred years from now, you're still walking in that place out of deep trust in God, living completely obedient to Him. But let me tell you who does respond. His family responds. His family responds. His family responds. I want to share the last thing, and this is probably the thing that is most important Obedience birthed in deep trust will always save. They'll always save. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. God notices obedience. God uses obedience. God promises a future when there's obedience. And you see this man who has a covenant with God in the devastation of the earth. At the end of it, he's standing in the earth that is completely devastated. He has both feet on the ground. 
And you see him like this, worshiping the Lord. And the truth of all of this is this. That God's way out may not deliver you from the storm, but it'll always take you through the storm. And at the end of it, when everything else is devastating, you will be, have a covenant with God that promises you a future and you'll be standing there worshiping. And I just tell you right now, Jesus is your ark. Jesus is your ark. He is your ark. And, and if a hundred years from now, as you're walking in obedience to him, no one else in the entire culture makes that decision, you stand in deep trust with your Lord, absolute obedience before him, he will show you the way out. And you'll be standing on a devastated earth, an earth that your heart yearns that they would know the Jesus that you know. And you'll be standing there with a devastated earth in covenant with your God, and you'll be worshiping him. You'll be worshiping him. Because these foundational truths are this. God's grace has a limit. He will bring judgment on sin. But he will always provide a way out. He will always provide a way out. Every time, every time, an obedience that is birthed out of a deep trust, that's the only place that true obedience can come from, a deep trust. Lord, I obey you because I trust you. Because I trust you. An obedience that's built out of a deep trust will always save you. It will always save you, and it will save your family. It will save your family. The only one saved out of this is the family. Even if the entire world turns their, their, their back on the Lord, you bring your family in. You get your family in. It is powerful and it's foundational. Your first ministry is to your family. Now, I'm going I'm to end with this. And isn't this interesting to you? As I'm studying this, I just, I just, this is just crazy, the information that we have here. And people who say that the, the flood didn't happen. You know, the flood has written 270 cultures of, of, of the world have a flood story. And all of them differ, and, and all of them have, have di but they're all a flood story. It's a flood story. And you know, because 270 cultures of the world have a flood story, it doesn't prove that it happened. But it sure makes it likely that it happened. And then the Word of God comes and gives you these exact, incredible details. It's crazy. I let me give you just a couple of things of application before we go. I, I want to talk to you about the effects of godly obedience. The effects of godly obedience is this, and there are just three of them. The first one is this. It will set you apart from the crowd. You will stand out. You will look less and less like the world. It will set you apart from the crowd. And if you, if you feel like I have to be a part of the culture and not be weird, you're just going to be in trouble. Because if somebody doesn't think you're crazy in this obedience to the Lord, you're probably not obedient to the Lord. If there isn't somebody in your life that thinks you're crazy, you're probably not obedient to the Lord. And when God calls you to the ministry, full-time ministry, and people say, you're nuts giving your life to that. When you're that person that what God says is more important than what anybody else says in your life, there's amazing things that go on between you and God. You begin to build a trust. When, you have, when you're a businessman and you realize that the prestige and the power is, take, is more important to you than, than, than following the Lord, you just back away from that business. And people say, you're nuts. And you say, no, I'm going to follow the Lord first and not this other stuff. 
You know, it's crazy. When, when you're a young person and you go to a dance and you don't act like everybody else, you, 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 you treat this body as a godly temple and you stand out and they say, what's going on? And you, and, and you say, I'm bought with a price. I don't belong to myself. I honor God with my body. You know, a godly obedience that's built out of deep trust makes you different than everybody else. It makes you stand out. You stand out from the crowd. When you adopt a foster child, like this crazy family that's got seven kids, and you go over there and, and, and people say, you're nuts because it costs and it disrupts your entire home. And there's people all through this congregation that have done that. Disrupts your entire home. And you turn to them and you say, but God said to do that. It makes you stand out from the crowd. It just makes you different. And if you're going to walk in godly trust, you've got to be willing to be set apart from the crowd. You've got to be willing to be different. You've got to be a parent who blocks the channels and who, and who blocks the movies. Because if you don't, you're going to destroy your kids. you just got to do it in a different way. you just got to do it in a different way. It'll make you set apart from the crowd. The second thing it'll do, it'll encourage your family to follow you. Because I want you to notice that even the daughters-in-law followed this crazy old 600-year-old man. Because when they saw the integrity and the trust and the obedience, there's something different about him than the rest of the world that I live in. And when, 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 when their mothers came to them and said, I told you not to marry into this crazy family. I told you that it would be nuts and, and nonsense to do that. And they said, Mom, I see something in him that I don't see anywhere else in the world. We're following that. And I just want to tell you, parents, don't send your kids to church. Live it in front of them. Because it's your obedience to the Lord that will cause them to come into the ark. It's your obedience to the Lord. It's them seeing something different in you that will cause them to follow this Savior. Your kids, when they're young, they trust you more than they trust God. Let them see God in you. It's just critical. When, when, when you have that godly obedience, it encourages your family to show you and, and to follow you. And the last thing is when you have godly obedience, it'll bring salvation to your world. Noah saved the entire planet as it is today is here because of Noah. Man, history of planet Earth would have ended right there in Genesis chapter 6, except for Noah. And I want to challenge you, godly obedience. Live in such a way that that obedience affects everybody else in your society. Just live that way. Just live that way. Because godly obedience that is birthed in deep trust will always provide a way of salvation from sin and judgment of the world. It will always provide the way. It will always save. And I just challenge you to do that in Jesus' name. So the title of this message, I don't even know if I gave you the title, but the title is this. How big is your trust? How big is your trust? How big is your trust? I want you to stand with me, and I'm going to read this last verse as we, as we close this this morning. I just want you to stand. Worship team, if you would come. <clears throat> I want to read Matthew 24, verse 36, and this is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to listen really carefully. This may be the most important thing of the whole sermon. I want you to listen really carefully. Matthew 24, verse 36 says this, but of that day, this is Jesus Christ speaking to us. He says, but of that day, your Lord is speaking to you right now. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is speaking to you right now. And this is what he says, but of that day, 
And that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man.